Welcome to the new game, Bullshit. Alright, so um, this is going to be a really hard act to follow, apparently, because the legendary Walter Day and Billy Mitchell are sitting in here running the room with Richie back there. Um, but we're going to talk some 1990s gaming nostalgia. Uh, we have a lot. We have a lot of arcade gamers around here, so I'm gonna try to steer some of them to arcade. And I did grab the legendary Brian, not Col Colin, not Colin, Colin, Colin. Yes. <laughs> we got the legendary Brian Colin. Uh, some of you may know. I'm gonna let him introduce himself, and then I'll introduce myself. So go ahead, Brian. Okay. Um, it seems a little redundant, but I am the legendary Brian Colin. Apparently, um, <laughs> legendary, legend. I've been making arcade games for just under 35 years. I started at Midway. First game I worked on was this of Tron, games like Spy Hunter and Demolition Derby and Sarge and uh, eventually became started as an animator, became a designer, uh, probably best known for games like Rampage and Xenophobe and Arch Rivals and now we're getting close to the end of the decade when Williams bought out Valley Midway and now myself and programmer Jeff Nauman were the two video game developers that uh, Williams kept as they became the new Midway, and we finished Arch Rivals for them, and uh, now we're into the 90s, and I understand that's the topic. That is the topic. Okay. All right, so for everybody else, um, I am Jeffrey Wittenhagen. I am published author. I've written the complete NES, Nintendo Collector's Guide. My book's running around the convention. Um, I also do a video game Culture Chronicles where I cover the 90s. So this year when I'm going around to panels, um, this is my sixth time doing this panel in the 90s. I grab somebody random, never put them on the marquee because it's a fun thing to do. And then the people that are part of it, we're going to all make this a conversation between us all. Everybody's going to be a part. So I said move up to the front because we're going to tell some stories. We're going to ask some questions. We're going to do some stuff. And we're going to do a little bit more arcade, but I like to talk console, too. I'm a console guy. So uh, Brian is more of a programmer for the arcade stuff, so we're going to try to not uh, steer him with any crazy questions. But I want some stories, too, about the 90s. We, so. can, we can do uh, any story with anybody that's not still a client. Um, <laughs> no, that's not true. No, <laughs> I, I can do a lot of good stories, just the really good ones will have to wait till after the, the microphone's okay. off. And, and yeah. Like and, with any industry. And so the microphone is on as well as I'm recording this for my podcast. It's VGBS, Video Game BS, because all I do is BS about video games. So it's a, it's a great podcast. We just finished up season two. Uh, things like this, like a panel. Um, Kyle was here yesterday. He's my co-host. He had to go to a wedding today, but um, typically these are side quests, so this will be in between season two and season three. This will air, and it'll be a really cool thing to have for, you know, history and nostalgia. Um, speaking of history, a little something that happened today, so let's get right off the path, not even 90s. Today, I go over to the legendary Walter Day, and I say, hey, let's do something fun here. Let's do something crazy. So I'm like, there's a game on the arcade floor that's never had a world record on it. <laughs> so what I did was is I grabbed there's a guy walking around that's a videographer and he was going to do the videos for the entire convention um, and he's been running around he comes in every once in a while I may come in during this John? Uh, Je Jeff Jeff that's Jeff. Right, Jeff yeah just like my name Jeff yeah. um, and basically I go hey come over here we're going to do something crazy so I get Walter Day to introduce it and it's called Enigma 2 
Nobody's ever heard of it because the only arcade that's known to exist is at our at here today. So I'm like, hey, record me. I want to be the first person to set a world record. That's a Billy Mitchell story that I've heard on one of his DVDs. He's like, we used to go around galloping ghosts and set records and say, I'm the world record holder. Well, I just did a bucket list today, guys. <laughs> like 1979 game before I was born, believe it or not. A 1979 game that I set a world record. That's ridiculous. Of course it's already been beaten here at the convention. Because <laughs> I'm not a competitive gamer. I'm just a passionate gamer. I love to play games. But it was hilarious to do. It was really fun. Let's get back on to the 90s. Okay. I can still, rem- <laughs> I can still remember the 90s. The 90s? Were you alive during the 90s, Richie? Oh, my God. I was alive in the 60s. He was alive in the 60s, see? So, in the 90s, um, that was when I started to come into my own as a gamer. Um, obviously born in the 80s. However... I started to mature and get some hand-eye coordination, started playing some stuff in the 90s, had some fun with it. I was always a rental kid, could never afford to buy games all the time. I was talking with the dude, he had a dragon uh, warrior shirt that was walking around the convention, and he was in the same boat as me. We were talking about how we got that with our dragon warrior with our first Nintendo Power subscription, early 90s, really fun. But the thing is, is that with the 90s, there's that whole arcade scene that would happen. And where did you see, because you were programming games for the 80s, where did you see, Brian, that the 90s, where was the focus going that people were trying to tell you with the games that you were making? Okay. And thanks. All right. So well, we got to go into your games, Brian. Well, before we go into my games, um, and once we go into my games, we may never get out. But that's the, uh, that's the intent, Brian. That's the well, intent. I do have, I, there's a couple of corrections I have to make. Sure. I'm not a programmer. I'm he an is, artist, I'm an, an animator, artist. I'm a game designer. I like to call you the madman behind the scenes that uh, makes everything it's, it's flow. Game design is a team effort. Every, yes. Every game development's a team effort. Um, I've worked with a lot of different programmers over the years, a lot of different artists, animators. It's a team effort. Game design is kind of the... You know, the, the guy who's pulling the strings, the guy who's prodding, sometimes it's, you know, enticement, sometimes the puppet it's pushing, yeah, if you will. And the other thing is, it, it, you kind of suggested there, when you said, where did I think things were going, or what was I being asked to do? Yes. The beauty of being a developer, who or a designer, or getting into this industry in 1982, like I did, is Midway, Valley Midway at the time, kind of let us do whatever we wanted to try. It was a wonderful and probably never to be repeated time to stumble into an industry because they weren't telling us what to do. They would say, hey, uh, we've got this or, you know, here's what, here we want to sell something. And between us, just all looking at each other, we get to I think this would be great. Let's try this. Let's do this. And they would let us. So by the time I got to the 90s, I had some hits under my belt. And so, so you're saying you had enough clout in the gaming community. Well, in, the, in my employer. That's all yeah, that mattered yeah. to me. I, I should also say, I, I, don't, I followed gaming community as a developer. I have fun making games. I play games. But my fun every day is making games, and so for me, the 80s were great. My games, you know, I'm doing this game, I'm standing in the back of the arcade, I'm watching people play, I'm looking at what makes them laugh, what pisses them off, I'm looking at the competition, not to see what they're doing, but just to see how they're doing. Because my job was twofold. I had to make this game so players wanted to play it, and I had 
basically uh, George Gomez, a uh, great designer from Midway back in the day, doing pins now for Stern, I believe. But he summed it up best. He's like, you've got two customers when you work in an arcade. You've got the operator who's paying for the machine who wants the player off in 30 seconds, and you've got the player who wants to live forever. And you've got to make them both happy. <laughs> and some of the proudest things I did back in those days was walking that razor's edge. And games like Rampage, games like Xenophobe, they gave us, I wouldn't say clout is probably the wrong word. But I, I they, like clout. Well, they, they <laughs> gave us the ability to continue for a while to be able to do just what we wanted to do. Yeah. And so when you ask me where did I think the 90s was going, I think you're crediting me way too much with Got giving... Got credit him a lot. <laughs> with giving it thought. Humble Here's where I thought Humble the man. 90s were going, okay? This yeah. will sum it up. Absolutely. Beta would ba beat out VHS. No one will pay for television. You've already got five channels. How many more do you need? Yeah. And the internet thing that they're talking about coming up, that's a fad. It's never going to happen. Never going to work So out. you don't want to ask me where I thought the 90s were going to go. Amazing. I'm always in the moment. I, in 89 turned into 90. Uh, Williams bought Midway. We went over there. We finished Arch Rivals in 89. Started on my next game, and that's about all I thought about <laughs> was my next game, the first one in the 90s. So one thing I noticed, if you go over to his booth, because he has all of his artwork that he's done, which includes in the 90s, we have General Chaos. Yes. As well as... Pigskin was my first Pigskin, game in the 90s. Which was 1990. My last arcade for Midway, the new Williams County yeah, Midway, yeah. was the Arch Rival sequel, Pigskin. Yeah. Which, again, I did with Jeff Nauman, programmer. Mm -hmm. And then I had been... Electronic Arts had been asking us for a while to come out and work for them, or asking me to come out and work for them, and uh, I didn't want to move to California, so finally they said, well, what if we gave you the money to start your own company? So then I had to kind of work on Jeff, yeah. and uh, eventually, that's what we, after Pigskin, we said, let's go out, we're going we're gonna to work on our own, and so then our second game... Um, Pigskin was our first game in the 90s. Our second game for the 90s was also our first game as a brand new company, Game Refuge. And that game uh, was a Sega Genesis game that uh, was turned out to be their number one hit, independent hit for like non-licensed game, General Chaos. And mm -hmm. to this day, of all the games I'm known for, I've been known for a lot of big name games like Rampage and stuff like that. It's a little small game called Rampage. But, but the General Chaos <laughs> fans are the most rabid. The oh, yeah. General Chaos fans oh, yeah. are the ones that are, I get more more mail on that than anything. They they are the truest. So, and, you know, most of them are adults now and, you know, they most all of kind them. of <laughs> turned out okay. So I feel pretty good about, yeah, what? I love the game. It's great. Well, thank, the you. Game. Thank, thank you. Thank you. And you turned out okay. <laughs> Turned out well, all right. All right, wait a minute. I'm going to ask the person Let's, next to you. How did he turn out? How did he turn out? I got to ask the. Okay. All right, all right. Okay. all right, good, 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 good. So that was my second game. In the yeah, case. yeah. All right. So the one thing I noticed, if you look at him, because he has posters out there that he has, and they all have a similar style to them, which is really interesting because, you know, I've been working on all these books, so I'm putting together games from the whole year from 1990, from the whole year from 1991, and I'm checking out all these publishers and things, and you don't see that if you're just looking on the general internet and Wikipedia. You don't see that, like, oh, everything from Midway, but you have this game refuge that's doing the same things because you 
have one guy, you know, that's putting together this style. And that's something to consider when you're talking about the 90s and the 80s and you're looking at anything in gaming is that these certain developers, these certain producers, when they're making things, you got this really cool style. And in your 90s style, it actually, you know, holds something from the Rampage era where you have that cool artistic style and it moves into general chaos and so on. And it's something really cool that you've kept true to throughout all the games that you're making, even when you went crazy later, when you went off the coin-op arcade. I went crazy early, but that's a whole different thing. Nothing wrong with that. I like uh, your coffee, by the way. (laughs) Very good. I think the next game we really need to talk about, because we don't want to digress into into some of the other things, but after we became Game (laughs) Refuge, we basically, we were an indie group, long before indie groups were a thing. We were an independent developer, Mm -hmm. but... Folks like Midway came back to us and said, what, you know, what can you do for us? And eventually, the next big game we had was about 90... next big arcade game we had was about 96. And that was... Uh, the, Midway came to us and said, you know... Small we, game. Uh, we want to... You know, we've got this... You know, these people are beating the hell out of each other. We got our teenage boys covered. We need something with a broader demographic. And my partner Jeff and I looked at each other and said... Let's redo Rampage. So then we did, they let us do Rampage World Tour, which from a style standpoint, which is what you started to bring up, is my early games, all, you know, my pen and ink style and my pixel pushing style, a lot of people say, you know, it all looks alike. And generally, I take that as a compliment. I don't ask them to tell me too much. But they say they can tell it's from me. It's a stylistic aspect. And they can see my humor. But uh, it was kind of tough because by the time we got to Rampage World Tour, um, my role then became I had 3D model animators and I had multiple programmers. Jeff and I, we had to become the designer's role was as much back like in my early days as an animator trying to get a programmer to do what you want when you're not his boss you got to bait him you got to cajole him you got to flatter him or you got to whatever you got to do that came into play now i've got animators who have got to take my drawings and make them be cartoony and especially in in the 90s uh there weren't many 3d platforms where in polygons uh you could not make cartoony stuff. We went to spline-based stuff for the you technical-minded people out there that actually <laughs> care, because it could look more cartoony. And my I had some great animators and still do that uh, were able to translate my 2D cartoony sense of humor, tongue-in-cheek vision into 3D. And I think they did a really great job with Rand page world tour because people yeah. still say it looks like my stuff even though all i did was the 2d art and then had animators and artists create the 3d characters that were the characters in uh, almost Rampage like an world executive tour. producer type thing in the movie standpoint yeah yeah, yeah. more hands-on yeah um yeah chief uh what is it uh Chief Cook and Bottle Washer. I don't know. Chief you, Cook and Bottle you Washer. You keep your fingers. We're always, we've always been a small group. I mean, yeah. normally Game Refuge is you know, anywhere between half dozen, 16 people. We've occasionally been up to about 45 people. But normally, depending on the project, normally we're a small group. So it's easy to be hands-on. And 
I like that from a design standpoint just because that's the way I started in 82. You know, nice. a, a game was done by three people, four people. Uh, you know, a couple artists, a programmer, a sound guy. But everybody in at Old Midway especially, everybody would chime in. They'd stop by your office. They'd play your game. They'd give you some in, input. And that synchronicity, you know, made ga every game better. Because you've got a lot of opinions about stuff. And over the years, I mean, I've got a really horrible uh, sense of business. Uh, I basically do what anybody, you know, I keep my head down looking at my current project till somebody <laughs> taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, come do this. So over the years, I've done a lot of stuff and we're still doing stuff and everything from casino games to adver games where we're pushing somebody's product to uh, mobile games to Facebook games. But the arcade is still one of my favorite types of games to do because you could watch players play. And that was the way to test them. Almost everything else, you got a, you got a focus group. You get reports. You get, And it's just not the same. And I'm really lucky in that I've got a client right now who I'm doing some arcade games for. Yeah, so I'm yeah, kind yeah. of coming full circle. Which is so good. I spend a lot of my days grinning. Um, and I'm going to shut up now because oh, I'm no. rambling all over the place. Oh, I, I like rambling. We like to go off on the um, down the river is what we call it on the podcast. Go down the river and just we'll regroup afterward. So let me go further down the river um, now. And it's going to be asking you a question, but let me build it up. Um, okay, so every, is every, anybody in here aware of the huge homebrew aftermarket scene that's happening with retro gaming right now? Everybody is. I mean, I happen to have, you know, a game on my table that was programmed in 2015 for the NES, Nintendo Entertainment System, and you beat the crap out of zombies on it, and it's a, you know, a whole graphical aspect. Well, they're continually doing this where they're making these new games for antiquated systems because everybody's trying to live their nostalgic experiences from the 80s and 90s. More so the 90s because a lot of those programmers were born around when I was where they were born in the 80s but really matured and grew up and got their gaming skills in the 90s which is crazy because now we're all becoming adults. Now we're all getting into this, the field and, we're, and they're taking their degrees because when I started going through school computer science degrees started to become a lot more popular and so we have a lot of people with these kind of degrees with programming now Knowledge that come through now and there's no job market for that degree because there were so many people that did it and they all just in the hobby side start oh I know assembly because I had to learn it and now they start programming NES right from the get-go now what you said was very interesting because I only see a few companies because doing this podcast and I'm heavily involved in the homebrew scene for NES and I'm getting into it with Atari and Genesis and Super Nintendo on a small fashion and most of them, I call it a homebrew scene because it's one guy in his basement or in his home making these games. Um, and you're 100% right where they get pigeon-held. They, they take this narrow mind and they make their view, but they don't have that refinement that they're getting. The game that I have on my table is made by Retrotainment, and it's a group of three or four guys, and they are doing that. I'm like, I haven't heard of any other group doing that, and that reminds me of how they programmed things back in the day where you would have a development team that would get published by a big publisher for the system. And I think they're starting something revolutionary, and it's pretty cool. And, like, I mean, have you heard anything in the homebrew scene, or am I just kind of, like, opening your eyes to something that you didn't know that exists? out there 
more the latter. I mean, I knew yeah. it existed. I, and again, I'm, I'm terrible in that, in that, you know, people think because I've been doing this for so long, I know what's going on in mm-hmm. the industry. And I am, in that regard, uh, you know, guys like Doc Mack, who oh, you know, Doc. brought half the games to this, this event here, or a good portion of them. Uh, it's only after meeting him the last couple of years that I kind of found, got this understanding of, what's going on outside of whatever project I happen to be working on at the moment. You know, I'm working mm-hmm. on a Facebook game. That's what I'm worried about. I'm working on a mobile game. I'm worried about the, what the client needs, what their players want. And I, I, so I, I'm not the guy to ask. Okay, okay. Even if my predictions didn't clue you in, I'm not the guy. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I just wanted to see, which is fine. But, you know, and, and you talk about the fact that, that... But what do you think about, like, the home brewers, how they're doing it? Well, and, and, and how the I guys are expanding you make a good it point. from your you make perspective. A good point. You make a good point. The yeah. Games can be done by a single guy. They always could. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I don't, and some people can't, and maybe they're out there. I think it's better to bounce stuff off of people. I think of myself as a designer, but, you know, beta over VHS, right? Just because I think something needs to be a certain way, you need to get feedback throughout the development process. You can't wait till you're done and ready to test. I mean, you can. But then you might have to turn around and redo everything. Development teams especially, and that's one beautiful thing about the indie scene. I don't know how many guys are out there doing it alone, as you suggest. I think there are probably, a lot. I think there are probably more groups in small groups of threes and fours. That's my feeling. I really don't know. I think there are small groups, and I think that's wonderful <laughs> because that's where things happen. That's where, I mean, equate it to, uh, you know, rock bands. Everybody's got a garage band. Right, you know, I mean, there are great solo artists, and that, and that's always going to be the case. And they're going to break up, and you know, girlfriends are going to get in between them, and then we're in a Tom Hanks movie now. But uh, the rock bands, garage bands, I think I see, I see the indie scene these days to be that. Whether they're choosing to do retro systems because that's where they're. That's what, you know, they're being pulled that way by their passion or they're saying, hey, I can do anything I want with Unity. I'm going to do this. Yeah. The, the worst thing, I think, uh, when I talk to groups that are like uh, college groups or uh, development groups is they will they'll say, okay, we've got 30 people and of this team, we're going to do this. And they, they start describing something that's got like a 90-page design document and 15 <laughs> writers creating character backstories for 200 Jeez. characters. In a, and you've got two programmers and an artist in the group besides all the writers and everything. I was like, you know, maybe you should do something that you can finish. Too many cheats. And then, and then once idea. you finish, and I'm all, but that's, that's my nature. Yeah. Not everybody's that nature. I... I'd rather do something small and quick and get it done and move on to the next thing because you learn from your mistakes, you know, and you invest all this time and then you have to scrap it because you're a year and a half into it and this guy decides to get married and raise kids and move away and now you're stuck with code you can't read because or nobody can adapt. Whereas, or, or this piece of equipment becomes obsolete during the programming <laughs> process, and then all of a sudden you have to scrap years of programming because you can't now push out the product because that 
piece doesn't exist. And that, that was, and that has to do with one of your stories and one of my stories. Well, By the way, I can't tell that, heard. That, was a, that was a millennium story that didn't happen in the 90s. But yeah, Star Trek Voyager, the client... Uh, if I tell my story, I'll get in trouble as well, by the okay. way. Okay, well, um, basically, it was... It was an, it Which was, I will tell over beers afterwards. Yeah, I'll tell mine too later. But yeah, yeah there were, there's all sorts of great stories out there, but I don't want to stray out of your decade. Oh, um, oh I don't we're already out of the decade. We're talking about modern stuff, which is yeah. really cool. Okay. If anybody minds, we're just you know picking an artist opinion. <laughs> well, because the thing is, though, is that you think one way, but your way was highly successful, and how you would do it. I was lucky. Exactly. Right place, right luck, time. Luck has a lot to do with it for it sure. Does. It does. And so, how the indie scene works, though, now with homebrews is typically you have guys that are all in their basements per se, you know, using that as a general term, and then they all farm out like this guy who's really good at music, and they all push it together via the internet, and then they use a group like Nintendo H forums where they do beta testers. So then that way they get feedback from beta testers. However, you're to that point past no return where you can't make any major changes because it would cause a whole rewrite of the code that they can't do, which is what you were alluding to. Well, and, and for me, it's, it's less of – it can be done that way. It can. It can be done remotely. It's more fun when you're all in the same room. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've been lucky. Uh, maybe I'm spoiled, but – I've been doing this for 34 and three quarters years, and the only time I've ever done anything remotely have been the projects that were a little less fun to work on, a little less, um, you know, this has got to get done. I'm coming to California, and I'm sitting there with your people. You know, I can tr- I can manage them here from here, but if you want me to work with your crew, I'm coming there, and we'll get more done in me coming there in three weeks than we will me manage remotely in three months. You know, um, and 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 it's more fun. So I'm spoiled. It, There's nothing I, wrong with being spoiled. There are well, the, and you know, I'm not a business guy. So anybody listen to this podcast, you know, I'm sure there's a ton of people <laughs> out there going, no, no, this is the bottom line. This is the way we can get this done. And look, can we do this? And they're probably right because I'm also not a millionaire. But I've been had a great job for this long and with no end. And are you having fun doing it? And I've been having fun every day. That's the key. And I mean, everybody here, you know, live can attest to. We're all hanging out, having fun playing arcade games in person. We're doing it instead of just all on Twitch, hanging out virtually. Like, I mean, I don't know if anybody here does that. I personally would rather go play with friends or come out here and make new friends and play too. I mean, I'm gonna be out here till midnight playing games. And yet. Yes. People at home are listening to this on a podcast. Exactly. Because so we live lives. I, I weep for you. you know, <laughs> because you couldn't be here with us here today. I mean, the, and that's the thing about like a convention like this and people listening on the podcast is, has everybody had fun at the, the convention today? Like, I mean, give a clap so we can have people on the podcast here. Yeah. See? We have... So the people here, it may not be as big of a crowd as for Walter and Billy, but the thing is we have passionate people here that are, you know, into the 90s. So let's get to a little Q&A aspect. I have a giant list of questions that we always go All through. All right, here we go. Uh, so, yes, no, no, yes, no, exactly. maybe, yes. But I want participation from people here. All right. So because everybody's had an experience. All right, so everybody here was alive during the 90s. Yeah, so um, has everybody played in the arcades? In the nineties, everybody's playing the arcades. Since this uh, is we a, got it, we got a head shake in the back. We got a head like shake. I never played it in the arcades. Never in the played 90s. in the arcades. No. What was your system, sir? Yell it out. Oh, 
Buzz. Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo. Well, I might like the Super Nintendo a little bit. I might be doing a book. <laughs> but um, what was your favorite game on the Super Nintendo? Uh, it would have to be the Zelda Link to the Past. I might like the Zelda Link to the Past. He's showing his showing my tattoo of the Triforce. I might like that game a little bit. That is my all-time top favorite game of all time. Let's see his uh, no, microphone. That's, record that's it. Next time. That's for I next thought time. he just had to fart everyone. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, the first one that I like to ask is name a game that changed your life. That the one that said, "I love gaming." Anybody have a hand? I'll come down with the mic or whatever. Like, does anybody have a game that changed your life? Oh, I, I see you. You're, you're making noises. I'm coming down. <laughs> I'm crazy. <laughs> go, go, go. My, mine was uh, Batman, uh, Batman for the NES. Oh, my favorite. Okay, and, and why? How did that happen, and how did that change you? Uh, pretty much the game mechanic to it. It was a Ninja Gaiden style type game, but it was still Batman at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. And I can verify that he's telling me the truth, because I've I've never met you before today, and you told me that same story when I first met you, was that you would would, would found some other games that you started to have fun with, and it was really a... It was like a, a soul, a problem in your soul because you you wanted Batman tattooed on your forehead. You, you know. <laughs> oh, no, no. There it is. So, exactly. yeah, it so, did. That's the thing, though, is like video games changed my life. It changed your life. I mean, there's some craziness. And mine goes back to my co-host of the podcast, Kyle, where we used to play Double Dragon 2 every single day and sitting there we matched with the point where when you're doing the does everybody know the hyper me in Double Dragon 2 who's played it where you do that giant name the guys go flying across the ring room the whole time and you, the first end boss the helmet head guy you can knee him right off the side at my old website I made that a goal because we used to have a little challenge and we'd have to take a screenshot knee him off in midair <laughs> like while you're doing it on an emulator it's hilariousness but we played that so much that is ingrained in our system. We had such a good time and it was so fun and it was an in-person experience. It wasn't online. And I understand the whole online gaming aspect, believe me, because my wife is connecting with our nephews by doing playing GTA online right now. And they're across the country from us. Because I'm in Maryland, I'm originally from this area. So we'd have to go, you know, think out of the box and my nephews, they're playing on, you know, PS4 online. So that's what my wife's doing, and she's like a level 200 in Grand Theft Auto, yet can't get first in a race to save her life. She's been playing so much just with family. Um, but like us playing in person, that was the classic. Um, and it was so fun, though. And so, yeah, that was one of them. And then, of course, the original Super Mario Brothers. Going to a friend's house, playing it over there because I couldn't afford a Super Nintendo. I had my Atari 2600 and Commodore 64 at the time. And, you know, somehow the bootleg gaming scene existed back then when there was no internet. And yet I had a ton of burned discs from my brother's <laughs> friends. I don't know how that scene existed back then. I want to know. That's, that's one thing, being a, a journalist that I am, an author. I want to tell a story of how that hacking scene in the Commodore happened. Like, how did they used to do that? How did that, they, they had to do ground pound to get all those games out there. We had like a hundred games, and we had two legitimate ones. Batman was one of them, believe it or not. That was the one that you would have panels, and it was split off as you go through different screens, and it was terrible. 
The game was horrible. You had to like move and focus on an item and then pick it up. Like the design choices, it just wasn't conducive to a fun gameplay. But I'm an NES gamer. But yeah, no, yeah. But But Batman on the NES has that because you pick up items, you use them immediately. It's super fun. Like that's an amazing thing. Does anybody else have any stories? Did I spur any? Oh yeah, let's go. I'm gonna jump down. I'm crazy. So, so go ahead. What's your name for the podcast? Uh, my name is Mike. I didn't get your name. What's your name? Dominic. Dominic was the Batman guy. Everyone listen. Our uh, okay, me and my brother went absolutely bonkers for Altered Beast. The arcade oh. game. Oh, we played it all the time on the Genesis. Yeah, yeah. We went so far as to make a parody of it called Alter Feet. Altered Feet. <laughs> it, was, it was feet turning into the, the different animals and shit. I mean, we were like, we were like seven at the time. We were really and not, not only that, but we also, uh, we also created toys, like uh, uh, drew up designs for toys and actually sent them to Sega and like we're you know like here you can make these toys for the game and all this stuff. It was did they ever respond? Yeah, didn't even bother to humor us. Yeah, but I mean we went nuts for that game. That's <laughs> awesome. Do you have any Zelda stories? I'm back here. Uh, yes. Let's go. Want to hear Zelda story? Well, I I have an F zero story. Zelda's ninety two. So F zero. Let's go F zero. Okay. Well, That's ninety one. So. Well, my mom had just purchased the Super Nintendo and. One of my brothers picked out F-Zero, the other one picked out Star Fox, mm-hmm. and I watched them play for a couple months, and I never really got to play the system, and then finally they went home, and awesome. I got to play F-Zero, and that was like my first gaming experience that I can recall. Oh, the Mode 7 in that was so impressive, and I, the controls on top of it, like it was one of those things where I used to always use the L and R slide. Yeah, you'd hang around curves yeah. and stuff, and I, I, Satisfying. I, I just wasn't used to the gameplay, and literally my whole body would move. <laughs> I was just so excited. It's, it's the classic when you would play with like an older adult, and they're, they're steering on the Nintendo, or the Genesis, or like, like they're controlling the just game. Just get really into it. That's an arcade gaming thing, though, because you're using the actual steering wheels. So that's pretty cool, though. So I, yeah, absolutely. So... Just off off the beaten path, and I'll, I'll go over to you. Um, what's your favorite arcade game here since you didn't grow up with arcades? Oh, out here, right. you got a bunch of arcades and pins here. It, it, it's track and field. Oh yes, I uh, I built a <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I built a main system, and basically, me and my friends we just play track and field all the time. So it's nice to come out here and play that real system. Yeah, because it reacts completely different than the emulator. Yeah. Now, quiz question. Does anybody realize, and this is, I'm going to answer it as, with a question, um, that on the Famicom, they obviously for the Nintendo, they release track and field. On the Famicom, the version comes with a track and field controller that looks like the arcade. And you, it's actually two buttons that you can play. And so it's two buttons just like the arcade setup for the Famicom. I actually found that at a convention this year in the box. I'm like, oh my god. I need this. Because it looks just like the arcade ones. How much did they want for it? It was like $20 or something. At, at a, it was awesome. Like, And you know all of us collectors for console, we want to find a good deal. So that's the awesome story, though. But it, it was cool, though, because it was track and field, but it looked just like the control panel on the old arcade. And I've actually went in Galloping Ghost and tried to break freaking... I think it was James White who had the damn record, and I was trying to break his record on track and field, and I was starting to get you know cramps in my arms. <laughs> that game is ridiculous. I want to hear your story, man. 
And Surly, awesome brewery, by the way. Love the hunger. I guess uh, probably my fondest memory of uh, gaming in the 90s. Um, back when I was, uh, was a child, I was born in 87, by the way. Uh, my, uh, my dad worked during the day and my, uh, my mom worked at night. And uh, you know, I remember I was uh, home from school late summer of 91. Uh, we did a little shopping at a strip mall that was essentially across the street from our house. And uh, on the way, you know, back from the store, we're walking through one of the halls, and I see an arcade game that kind of catches my eye, and uh, my mom's got to pick me up so I can actually reach the joysticks and the buttons to play it, and it was uh, Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2, wow! So, uh, that was huge to me. That's awesome. I think, like, they used to have arcades at our grocery store when I was growing 7 up. 7-Eleven. Yes, 7-Elevens. Um, That's where I used to go. A couple Rampage, Rampage, that was one of the marketing things uh, yes. when I sent out stuff, uh, Rampage earnings broke the records prior to then. And one of the best stories I love to tell was that a 7-Eleven asked for it to be removed because the <laughs> crowds of kids that would come in there, they couldn't handle the crowds at this small town 7-Eleven, so they had the, the operator pull it out of there. Your pants. Yeah, it's like, no, it's like, so that was a great, that was a great selling point. I think the two that were in my, like, in the, grocery store. It was like called Wilco Foods. It's in Northwest Indiana. It's now no longer that. Um, but it was one of them was Turtles, the arcade game. It's Turtles, the arcade game. Right when Nintendo Power moved and moved to the NES version of the arcade game was right about when I played that in there. So it was like such a cool thing that they ported it to the Nintendo at the time with extra bosses. I was like, yes! Finally get to play that. The other one was Super Off-Road. And that's when I learned very, very quickly how different a arcade versus console one was because the arcade could not be replicated on the Super Nintendo yeah. version of Super Opera. I just didn't like it as much as playing it with the steering wheel. Steering wheel had the perfect settings for when you would play it. And that's because I played it at the, you know, at the grocery store. Because the nearest arcade was like 30 minutes away, which as a kid, that's infinite. Yeah. Like, there's no way I'm getting to an arcade. Uh, it was over at like the mall, and because I'm from Cedar Lake, Indiana, it was like the mall in Merrillville, and it was like 30 minutes. South Lake away. Mall, probably. Yeah, out by South Lake, there was a Chuck E. Cheese out there, but it, but it was more, um, it wasn't Showbiz Pizza, but it was, there was another place out there that was an arcade. Celebration. Yeah. Celebration. That Station. was it. That yeah. was it. And then, of course, yeah. there was the Shakey's on Route 41. Yeah, see, you guys are from there. Well, I'm telling you, I know I'm here at Shakey's. I live in Maryland, but I'm, I'm from there. Um, that's classics, though. But, uh, but yeah, so those were the farther ones. So, 90s question. So we're going to name a game that you played as a kid, you've, or late, earlier. You can, go, you can go further back than the 90s, Brian. Um, Candyland. <laughs> when I was a kid, I'm sorry, that's, you, you know. Jacks. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, name a game that you played as a kid, you forgot about, and then discovered later, randomly. And I got a story. So, what mine, it was this crazy sounds I used to hear, and this music, and it was like, yeah. wow, wow. And it was a, it's a song, it was like, boom, 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 boom. And I used to hear it, and I'm like, what the F is this game? And so I go through and I actually have coin ops on my Xbox hat. So that's a meme emulator. On the Xbox, I have like 8,000 games on it and it can plug and play into a TV so I don't have to have a bunch of 
uh, arcades in my house because I move every three years. So I, I will eventually get all the originals of my favorites. So I'm playing it, and it, and it goes on this attract mode. And all of a sudden I hear it, and I'm like, what the F is this? And it's a game called Wardner. Anybody know what Wardner is for the sake of Genesis? It was released in 1990. Wardner. And it wasn't called Wardner in the arcade here, it was called something else. But I go to it and I play it, it's the same exact game. It was at this like restaurant that I grew up near. It was um, in Cedar Lake, this restaurant. And it was awesome. It was called Tobes Other Place, the restaurant in Cedar Lake. But, um, but basically this game, Wardner, you're actually throwing these little fireballs. And the very first song was like... And like, it was like this little cool tune. And I do sing on the podcast a lot, by the way. <laughs> but, um, but I was playing it, and I was like, holy cow, this is exactly... And now I can beat it. I couldn't beat it as a kid on a couple quarters. But now I can beat it, because you can infinitely pop in quarters. And there's a Sega Genesis port. That's terrible. But there's a Sega Genesis port in the game. So I bought the Sega Genesis game, and I played it. I'm like, oh, it's not quite there, because the sound effects weren't there. It's the sound effects that got it. So is anybody else, even you, Brian, that has a story of something, and you like... And because nobody could figure that out through forums or anything. It was crazy. And I figured it out, and I was, it blew my mind. And I actually was able to write about it in one of my Culture Chronicles. I actually have it in an article where I talk about that story. Because it was, it was really cool. You got one. I know you got one, because you had one before. I had to tell my story. But, all right, what's yours? Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. So what was the story? How did you forget about it? Or well, I mean, who told up, you about it? I grew up with it, and I just... Stop playing with things, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden I met him because he's a big gamer. And classically trained. By yes, yes. <laughs> sure. Met him, and he got me back into Donkey Kong again. Congratulations, sir. Thank <laughs> you for getting me back into Donkey Kong. <laughs> yeah, this, my wife, um, when, when we first met, she actually came and we played Mario Brothers on the Super Nintendo on the Mario All-Stars pack. And we played it for the first time. I'm like, yep, I'm keeping this one. <laughs> I got some of those things. You can get, get her into gaming. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm good. And she plays on her own now. She's crazy. Our game, though, is Tetris and Dr. Mario. We love playing that. That game's so awesome. And, and the, the irony is I never let her win. She gets so mad. <laughs> She's like, I don't like playing because you never let me win. I'm like, well, when you do beat me, then you brag about it. That's what's awesome. She does beat me. Paperboard 2 is her game. Paperboard 2, she destroyed me. I'm a Super Nintendo. She hates the Genesis one. I love the Genesis one. <laughs> Reason being is because you get a jump. So you can jump onto the curb and back. So you can avoid some of the cars that are coming. And I enjoy that because it adds a bit more strategy. Anybody else have any stories on a crazy game you may have forgotten about? And then, oh, yep, there we go. Well, sort of, sort of. You're pretty loud, so you can. <laughs> I can get you. Um, um, I was, you know, I grew up. I grew up uh, on Atari first, before seeing the arcade. As did I. Yes. So I played the, um, I played the Atari version of Pac-Man. Oh, yes. <laughs> way before I saw the real version of Pac-Man. <laughs> so then when I saw the real one, I'm like. This is, this is like nothing like it. What's going on? You know, and this game like, doesn't suck. Really confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Why the, the ghosts aren't disappearing? Like, yeah. Changes direction. Where's yeah. The yeah, it actually changes direction. His mouth actually moves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome though. They couldn't even get the pellets. They were like yeah. rectangle pellets. Well, like, I heard. Yeah. I just heard recently that that was the prototype. And they shipped the prototype. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen people, uh, they've actually released on a homebrew cartridge, like, a lot of times on Atari's, like, refined versions that are actually playable that they could have put out. 
I mean, they even put out Miss Pac-Man a couple years later, and that was oh, decent. Wow. That was decent on the Atari right, 2600, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up on the Atari as well. I was playing that almost into the damn 90s. We played the Ford and the Nintendo for a while. So it was one of those things. Any story? Well, I saw somebody had it. <laughs> um, so, what about you, sir? What did you play back in the day? What was your favorite Arcade game okay. or video okay. game. Okay. Um, they had to get you got into gaming through design. Yeah, no, 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 here's the thing. No, now you, you gotta understand. Um, I'm I'm at the, nearing the end of my fifth decade. So mm -hmm. I you know, I was a kid in the you know, I was born in the mid fifties, I was a kid in the sixties, um, went to college and uh, that was fun. Okay, that's oh, yeah. what I did for fun. So, you know, this is not coffee in this cup. Uh, that's what I learned in college. That was the first game I learned to play. Uh, but during college, you know, I, I'd play pins, and there were, I was never... Well, pins, pins too, that counts. Pins, yeah, but, you know, they pins, and, but there were other things in college keeping me amused. But, uh, <laughs> but things for quarters uh, didn't do much for me. Um, and honestly, when I went, I went to school for film, and I kind of moved over to animation because I'm a bit of a control freak, and I could do it all. I could do animated films, so I, I, I did animated films, and I answered an ad for the Valley Midway Company. I had my own little business where I'd do ads for local taverns and stuff like that, and they'd pay me in beer and popcorn, and that was great. It was a good way to live. I was living high on the hog. But I answered this ad for Bally Midway thinking I was going into, and they said animator, and I thought, oh, sell animation. They need someone to paint on the back of the glass. That's what they want me for. Cool. So I went in, and it was like, and they said, no, we're looking for someone to do animation for video games. And, you know, we did, uh, you know, Pac-Man. You know, this girl right here that's going to show you around, she put the bow on Ms. Pac-Man. So... And I'm going, oh, <laughs> wow. wow, thank you. This is going to be uh, really, um, yeah, thank you very much. But, you know, you guys are going to have to, I have a successful ad agency right now. You guys are going to have to do better than like two, 250 a month, $250 a month, you know, because I, I, I was not, I confess, I was not excited. Uh, and then they called me up and said, you know, we're going to pay you a real salary, not just beer and popcorn. And I, I almost... I kind of make a, made a joke when I hung up the phone to one of my friends was standing there, and, and I said, that's it, childhood's over. You know, I, I got a real job, you know. And I, I, I kind of choked up because I, you know, I thought, that's it, you know. I, yeah. And I was so freaking wrong. I mean, you know, childhood had just had a whole new lease on life. But I did not, the only game I played, video game I played prior to actually starting design games was my Magnafox Odyssey. Yes. Which, I mean, you, if you wanted it in color, you put a, a I'll put plastic, a color plastic over it. Yeah. A colored piece of plastic over the screen to play Pong, and then it would turn green at the either side. So I was not a big video game guy, but the, my first video game that I fell in love with, to finally get around to answering your question, yes. was Battlezone. 
the oh. Vector Battle Zone. As soon as I saw one, after you know, after working uh, in, in games for about a year, I found a place that was getting rid of one. So the first arcade game I bought as a collector was not one of my own. Mm-hmm. I bought a Battle Zone. And explain to the people, because it's not the Atari 2600 version he's talking about. Explain to them how the arcade version oh, yeah. emerges uh, you with how it's designed. I'm, I'm sorry. I, oh, I, yes. I forget not everybody's of my advanced years. Um, well, if we the had original the one, the yeah, original yeah, yeah. Battle Zone in the arcade was six and a half feet tall, had a periscope that you know, periscope type thing that you look through. It was a pure vector game, and it was infinite, and it was superbly tuned. And you had little side windows so that people standing around watching you could look in through the side windows, and it was just so white cool. lines uh, going off into infinity. These little Jet sleds coming at you in the tanks and whatever. It was a wonderful, wonderful game. So that was my first. It's like going into video Tron. Like, yeah, really, it is. It it's was. Awesome. It was a tremendous. It's, it's an immersive experience. Yes. is what Battlezone is. If you Excellent haven't word. played that, that is like a bucket list. Like as a gamer, especially when gaming is going into VR, like that's something to experience. It's really awesome to play right. some Battlezone. It, it definitely changed my. And again, as an artist. I looked at it and I hated it because mm-hmm. there was nothing about that I could do. It was vector graphics. It wasn't pen and ink. I couldn't make my. I was already making my cute characters over at Midway, um, and <laughs> and transforming that, bringing that into games, which was fun, which made it wonderful for me. Oh, yeah. But then I looked at how cool, like you said, immersive Battlezone was. Yeah. So that was that was the first game I ever bought as a collector. Oh, so awesome! Though. That would be my my changer. Yeah. Which is an amazing game, by the way. And I like the build-up story. You have to do the build-up story. It gives it awesomeness. So, I, well, we have an hour to fill, so yeah. I have to do the build-up story. Oh, exactly. And so let's get on to the beaten path. So since we talked about indie gaming, I'm going to try to wrap things up because we do have somebody coming in to talk. Um, but and we're not going to go over you know, to 15 minutes like legendaries do ah. for us. It's okay, though. Um, Our mothers raised us right. That's right. Um, <laughs> however... Speaking of indie developers, you know, there there is a little thing on some of the figures that you're selling that says General Chaos 2 on it. Yes. So I want a little bit of a backstory working on it. Are you completing it? What are you doing with okay. it? Okay. Well, as I said, General Chaos fans have been the most vocal over the years about when are we doing General Chaos 2. And unlike a lot of my early games for Midway, I own the rights to General Chaos. EA had very, very equitable contracts back in the day. So um, the General Chaos 2, we um, started working on in our spare time. I had a talented group of 3D modelers. So my drawings, they created the characters. Some guys, some of the programmers couldn't wait to start putting it together. And a couple, about three, almost four years ago now, three years ago anyway, um, I had to hire a social media guy because we were doing this huge Facebook game for a European country, a company rather. And um, he's like, no, no, you want to do a Kickstarter. So I'm going to book you here. 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 We're going to do a Kickstarter. Ask for a little bit of money. It's like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do this right. I'm not making any promises. I can't keep. We're going to ask for, I think I asked for like 120000 which was you know, pretty cheap for what we wanted to do, and we're going to do this incredible game. And for those of you that don't know General Chaos, each player controls a squad of a half dozen people. And in the old Sega Genesis, you had to move a cursor around with a joystick, and 
it's always amazing to me that people love that game because it was harder than hell to play. Um, <laughs> but it was fun and it was funny. Thanks, and in the Brian. new version with technology where it is, I want to do touchscreen you here, you here, you two guys come down here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to reinvent the game and bring it out and make it so that it was easy to control and idiot proof and still have all the comedy. So that's why we started it. We did the con uh, the uh, Kickstarter. We launched the Kickstarter. Uh, indoor kids, out indoor kids out in California was my first uh, podcast. My first uh, thing that my uh, guy Joe Joe set me up with. Uh, the day before I'm flying out to ca uh, California, sorry, found out I had cancer. No, um, no. Put a little crimp in my appearance schedule for the next. Yeah. Three months. And we never did hit our goal because I pretty much had to cancel everything after the indoor kids. Um, but, but we got about halfway through the game. And the good news, and we've been working on it a little bit here and there um, uh, over the last couple of years. We're, we're at the halfway point. The good news is I have a client right now who has committed to doing the game nice. in all its glory. And we should be starting on that this fall. Oh, uh, so I should say starting on finishing it this fall. So next year, uh, <laughs> no last-minute changes or anything. Yeah, well, yeah, every game changes. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. uh, we are we're doing it for we're doing it for PC, touchscreen, or mouse. We're with an eye on console down the road and arcade. So Ooh. this is uh, we're we're, I'm, we're real excited about it. And, Amazing. And then the figures that you saw were the leftover figures from the Kickstarter, which, which are still out there, cool. by the way, and they're pretty cool. Some really cool figures. So Brian, for we're gonna wrap things up for the listeners at home as well as everybody here. Where can people find you? I'm right here behind the table, sitting next to you. Here, I'm gonna touch you now, just to make sure. May you have know some of your coffee. Okay. Oh, it's empty. Damn, Brian. Um, <laughs> My company is Game Refuge. Yes. Jeff Nauman and I formed Game Refuge 25 years ago. Um, the company's Game Refuge. You can find us on the web. We haven't updated the website in probably 10 years. But probably the best place to look for us or me and what we're doing is Game Refuge on Facebook. You can follow me on uh, – you can friend me on Facebook. You can friend, you know follow me on Twitter. All the usual crapola that – People seem to do and crap. I, I like it. I beta. I I try to make at least two or three posts a week on what what's going on. Things like this. Oh yeah. And uh, and uh, and I will keep you abreast of general chaos and the next two. Uh, before long before that, we've got two arcade projects coming to fruition here in, in days and weeks. Uh, really, some really cool stuff happening here with some unveilings before. In time for Halloween, that nice. I'm very excited about, but I'm not going to spoil the surprise. But yeah, yeah uh, Game Refuge on Facebook, GameRefuge.com, and I'm Brian Colon. Uh, and thank you all uh, for sitting through yeah. this and listening to me ramble. So, Let's so for me, I'm Jeffrey Whitney, as I said, published author. You can get me at HagensAlley.com. That's where I have my blog and everything, as well as VGBSPodcast.com. Um, all my books, complete NES, everything's available on my blog, as well as the Video Game Culture Chronicles. Um, I originally took those to Patreon. I'm going to kind of scale back and move toward Kickstarter because that's easier for people. They don't like going to Patreon. They don't realize that I can do a 
book subscription and then you just get charged every time there's a book, not monthly. People don't get that because they're used to the whole YouTube thing where people are going on YouTube. So I'm just going to take the Kickstarter. Um, the Complete SNES was completely funded on Kickstarter. I'm working on getting it done. It should be done early in September. Um, and then it'll be out for publishing. Then I'm working on the Super Nintendo Compendium since that stretch goal was made. So there's going to be a second book. The Complete SNES is 500 pages. Super Nintendo Compendium is going to be 250 pages on top of that as a separate book. Um, those are available still. You can still pre-order them because I did a backer kit. And that's at tinyurl.com slash snesbacker. I use tinyurl because it's like a giant URL, what that they give me. It doesn't work. So, uh, But, yeah, you can go on there, check it out. Um, see, there's some crazy stuff we're offering, like leather covers from a guy in Europe that does wallets. And he, he like, presses them and burns them and hand paints them. He's doing book covers for the books. Like, there's some insane stuff. Custom Super Nintendo controllers for the project. Like madness. But I want to thank everybody for coming here. Sorry for going over, but blame Walter. They went 20 minutes over on ours. So, like, I thought we were brave. Yeah, we were, we were doing good, though. So, um, if you have any questions, get with us. And next year, let's try to get more gamers at the arcade this and pinball. This was the first annual. This They're was the first annual, yes. and he's rolling it into the pinball expo next year. So, there's going to be a lot of pinheads and arcade. We need to get more console people, because there's a, there's a select group of us that are, you know, console heads. You know, there's since they got the pinhead thing. Thank you all Thank for you. coming out. Thank you very much.